Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at innovation and the future of payments. The hot and heavy battle currently taking place between Apple Pay and the Merchant Customer Exchange. How we'll all be parting with our hard-earned money five years from now. And whether there's actually pin-up demand for new ways to do so. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more are not one, but two of my co-workers here at Three Pillar, Kanal Shah and Brian O. Kanal Shah is a senior product manager at Three Pillar who has worked with a broad range of clients to bring their software products to market, including one of the largest insurance providers in the world. Brian O is a product manager at Three Pillar who has successfully launched products ranging from large-scale SaaS products to quick turnaround iOS and Android applications. Clients with whom he has worked include one of the country's largest institutional investors. He has also worked for a leading wearables technology provider and heads our internal R&D labs initiative on all things wearables. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks. Thanks, Will. Good to be here. Absolutely. So let's start things off today by giving some background on how this episode came to be. It started, like so many things in life, with an email. And one of our coworkers, Beth Jacobs, sent an email around to a product strategy group here at Three Pillar with a link to an article in Mobile Commerce Daily about the consortium of retailers associated with the Merchant Customer Exchange. So for anyone who may not have been following it, Members of the MCX recently changed their tune on Apple Pay and blocked it in their stores. So, Brian O, let's start with you. What's your take on the situation and how it will all play out? Thanks, Will. Uh, first, again, thank you for, for having us on. This is uh, one of this many heated debates that we have here in the office. Uh, usually it's always around Apple versus everyone. <laughs> um, so M- MCX uh, created uh, Currency, and Currency is based on QR codes. Uh, so if you have a phone... You download the currency app. It's tied to your uh, bank. And when you go pay for something, you use a QR code. This is very similar to how Starbucks does it. And uh, just to throw a number out there, Starbucks had $1.5 billion through their mobile device uh, sales last year alone. So they also incorporate the QR code. Um, so where do I think this is going? I think that right now it really doesn't matter. Apple Pay only works on, uh, on iOS devices. Apple last, um, according to IDC, Apple phones accounted for less than 12% of all smartphones sold worldwide. Uh, So we're really talking about a small market share when it comes to the folks that can use it. So Apple doesn't necessarily have the power to dictate to merchants whether or not they use Apple Pay or not. You're still giving the consumers multiple ways to pay, check, cash, credit card, um, QR code, Apple Pay, what have you. Okay, got it. Let's talk a little bit about the technology platforms that may move us closer to having a quote-unquote digital wallet. Uh, so, so currency, as we mentioned, is the application that the merchant customer exchange is rolling out. I was a little bit surprised, even though I know you mentioned that that Starbucks uh, relies on QR codes for payments, to see that currency was using QR codes there is their form of payment. It seems to me like a little bit of an outdated thing that never really caught on from like a marketing standpoint. So I'm by no means a technology futurist. Um, but but Kanal, can you give a quick primer on QR codes, NFC, and where you think kind of the future of payment technology is going? Sure. Thanks, Will. 
Thanks for having us, first of all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so to look at look at the technology that Apple Pay adapted, as well as Google Wallet and a number of other providers, we'll have to look at NFC. So if we if we look at the history of NFC, uh, and as a, as a quick primer, NFC has been around since 2003. It's 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 the brainchild of Sony and NXP. Mm-hmm. It basically sits at the bottom of the wire, wireless totem pole. Uh, one thing when we look at NFC, we have to we have to look at the technology as not a revolutionary technology, but it's it's more of an evolutionary technology. It's ev- it's ev- evolutionary because um, NFC itself gets its uh, original specification from from RFID tags okay. and contactless payment. It allows basically allows two devices embedded with the chip to snuggle up together and transmit small pieces of data between each other when they are in close proximity. This data could be credit card information, it could be coupons, tickets, whatever whatever that you can imagine, but I think mm-hmm. you get the general idea. Right. Um, as most of the information can, can be sensitive, it means you'll need to get really up and up close and personal with the with the devices. So basically, a simple swipe or a tap should do the trick. Mm-hmm. Now, if we look at NFC itself, NFC has basically three modes of operation. One card emulation mode. This is similar to Google Wallet, Apple Pay. Essentially, the phone becomes your credit card. All the information is secured on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, two reader mode. This allows the phone to read passive tags. For instance, you could tap your phone on the reader tag in in a movie poster, for example, and it, and it could start playing movie trailers, provide movie times, locations, etc. And three, peer-to-peer mode. This allows for interaction between two active NFC devices, such as two phones. For instance, two phones within proximity could transfer payments to one another. And I think we saw this as an example, when Android introduced NFC, you, uh, a lot of people were talking about the bump application where you can bump the phone together to transfer contact information. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, out of all, all three modes of operation here is that the main driver for NFC is contactless, contactless payment. All the other benefits of NFC are just side effects. Okay. And so we saw a while back MasterCard, I think it was, had PayPass or something along those lines that was NFC or RFID perhaps enabled. And it caught on some, but I don't think that it it ever saw mass consumer adoption. So do you think that Apple Pay with the as small of the market share as Brian mentioned is the type of thing that will eventually push NFC over the edge as far as contactless payments or no? I think uh, from a from a market perspective, there's a there's there's a lot of things that that need to come into play in order for for any piece of technology or any idea to really become successful and to be used in a in a mass form, right? Mm-hmm. So Mastercard came out with that. We had way before Apple Pay, we had Google Wallet. Right. Um, they Im- they've been embedding NFC chips in most of their phones, and it's been Google Wallet's been around for for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Now we have Apple en- entering the entering the game. I think the difference with Apple Pay is just the amount of marketing and PR investment that they've made. They've really looked at the introduction of the technology as a holistic solution as opposed to just saying, our phones now support NFC and we have an application inside Mm -hmm. on the phone which uh, allows you to store your your credit cards in a secure way and there's there's a back-end infrastructure and a 
and uh, a, a set of technologies that allows the, the transaction to occur. But beyond that, they've brought on credit card companies as partners. They've worked with retailers to really start pushing Apple Pay. They've done tremendous amount of advertisement, uh, whether it's print, media. Uh, they've they've really engaged with the with the market and really push the the benefits of the technology out to the to the consumer so that the consumers are aware mm-hmm. of what are the benefits of you know contactless payment most importantly being security as well as the efficiency in in terms of how fast you can process your payment where you're not standing around for a minute or two minutes at the checkout counter Okay, so Brian, let me ask you about Point. There was an article in The Verge last week about it, and it was titled, The Guy Behind Google Wallet is Back to Change Payments All Over Again, or I think that was the subtitle, actually. Uh, So you're pretty bullish on Point. Can you talk a little bit about what Point is and the opportunity that it presents for retailers and -and brick-and-mortar stores? Sure. So Point um, is actually not spelled the way it sounds. It's uh, P-O-Y-N-T, Point. Um, it's, it's a way of saying, you know what, I'm not going to get into the space of whether I use QR codes, NFC, Bluetooth, low energy, or you know, sending funds via email. What I'm going to get into is the way peop- uh, consumers make transactions with merchants. So they said, let's take a look at the terminal, the p- point of sale, and let's go after that. Because right now, you know, you have either a credit card swipe. Sometimes you'll go to different grocery stores or Best Buy, and they have the ability to waive your Visa card or some other places. Starbucks has their own scanner for the QR codes. Mm -hmm. What Point said is, you know what, why don't we just make one terminal that takes all of those and puts it all together in one? Uh, It's it's a great, it's a really genius idea because it says the market can do whatever it wants to do in creating different ways. And that's only going to make my product even better. Uh, it provides consumers multiple ways to pay. And in the end, all you care about is getting those payments and those transactions. So if you think about it, it's kind of like in the wearables business today. I, you hear all over the news, everyone has some sort of wearable. Microsoft just came out with the wearable. Jawbone, Fitbit, they all have different wearables. But it's not about who has the best wearable. It's how do I best leverage the data that comes from the, comes from the wearables. And I think point is that same kind of concept of there's many different ways that I can buy something, but there's really only one way that I can have that interaction with the customer, and that's at the point of sale terminal. And if I can corner that market share and be the go-to place for being able to do whether it's QR, NFC, BLE, whatever it is, uh, I think that's a great way to, to go about it. Okay. And and you mentioned BLE. Can all let me ask you about BLE? Because Point of sale assumes kind of, I think, in the old school fashion that there is going to be a cash register or something that people eventually line up to bring their purchases to, and you can then take their money that way. Bluetooth LE is a technology that's relatively similar to NFC, but as I understand it, it could be the type of thing that enables not necessarily having a cash register at all, but you could be anywhere in a store, decide you want to purchase something, and and Bluetooth LE would, would, would have a long enough range that you could just automatically purchase something right there on the spot. Is that accurate? Yeah, um, almost accurate. Okay. So with Bluetooth LE, mm-hmm. you can consider kind of the difference between NFC and Bluetooth LE first by saying that NFC is close range yep. operation, where Bluetooth LE is long range. Okay. So 
where NFC-based terminals require you to be either to be to either tap or swipe or be within the millimeter range. Mm-hmm. Bluetooth gives you meters of range. Mm-hmm. You can go out to 20 meters, 30 meters. Bluetooth by itself, or Bluetooth LE by itself, really doesn't do much. Okay, it's the collective system that's in place that allows you to come up with interesting solutions. So, for example, in the Bluetooth LE pay, uh, based payment world. PayPal has come up with support for Bluetooth LE, and and I think they've created a very elegant and a very complex, but uh, complex solution from a technology perspective, but from an end user perspective, a very simple and elegant solution Mm -hmm. where it allows for consumers to walk into a retailer, be able to browse a product, pick something up, look at it, uh, maybe get some additional information off the proximity of, of the product itself from their mobile application. And then at the at the point when they're ready to make that decision to buy, they could push a button uh, or or touch a touch a button on their on their app and pay for the for the product itself. Mm-hmm. Now, there may still be requirements for interaction with the with the checkout clerk, but that's really more from just authenticating uh, you say who you are. Even though it's been authenticated on the ne- on the on the pay- PayPal network itself, and this typically happens with either a profile picture or some sort of uh, a secret code that's passed that the that the cashier may ask for, and you can show either on your phone or read it out, or the cashier can verify with your profile picture. So when we look at BLE versus NFC, one of the pros of the BLE is that BLE makes it possible to connect to point of sales terminals or to the cloud anywhere in a store, even when it's crowded. Mm-hmm. So this gives more freedom to customers while NFC requires close proximity to work. Whereas NFC, really, when we look at NFC itself, it's got three main advantages over BLE. One, it's more secure, m- mainly because of the shorter distance. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires less investment in point-of-sale technology. It, it works with the existing terminals that are there mm-hmm. or the existing readers that support NFC. Um, and that's pretty much majority of the readers out there. Yep. And it's compatible in a broader contactless environment, whereas BLE is not. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So so let me ask the, the $64,000 question, and, and maybe we should have started with this. But we're talking about digital currencies and the future of payments. And this assumes that there's actually widespread demand for new and more seamless ways for people to part with their hard-earned money. So Brian O., do you think that's actually the case? So that's a that's a great question. Um, it could be turning out to be a $64 billion question. Uh, the, what we got to look at here is when it comes down to it, money's going to be spent regardless, whether it's cash or, or as I said before, credit check, uh, QR, NFC, doesn't matter. The merchant's going to get your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it's just an easier way to get that money. So going all the way back to point, it's not more, It's not necessarily about what's the fastest, best way I can do it? Because whether you use Apple Pay or you use currency or I pay you with cash, you're getting my money regardless. Right. Uh, what it's all about is for the merchants providing those options for your customers mm-hmm. and for and for. Folks like Apple Pay that use NFC, who's to say, so currency hasn't come out yet. Who's to say currency doesn't flip the script and say, you know what, QR codes is actually kind of a bad idea. Let's go with NFC because when you, as Kanal was talking about, NFC is a protocol. It's not proprietary to Apple. 
Uh, they could come out with their own way. Maybe they can't do the same way Apple did with the secure element because Apple could turn around and file a lawsuit against them. But doesn't mean that they can't come up with a single way also to use NFC. So digital currencies, is that something in the future? Absolutely. Is it something that's going to happen right now? Maybe not. Uh, we still have the older generation and in our current generation that's still used to credit card. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't like to use credit cards. There's mm -hmm. about 29% of Americans over the age of 18 that don't. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other people that like the, the fact that they have a prestigious credit card and they want to pull that credit card out so everyone can see that I have the black card, I have an Amex Platinum. Um, so you lose those kind of customers that, that have worked in their mind to a certain place that they can have that luxury of showing that, of their stature. So I would say, uh, you know, without, you know, short story long, it's, it's definitely in the future. It's just a question of how long it takes for everyone to adopt it. Right. Okay. I think um, I, I would take a little bit of a different approach or I would look at this from a, from a, from a, a different lens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the 64,000 or the 64 billion or the $64 trillion question, right. really, I think should be, one, is there really demand from a, from a consumer, from a market perspective? And two, is the demand really being created by companies that's looking to increase their revenues and figure out more ways to make money? So if we look at all the different types of technologies that are out there, every provider of technology has their own motivation for, for creating such products and systems and, and, and pushing the envelope on technology. So mm -hmm. if we look at uh, current C, the motivation of the consortium of retailers is really for them to cut down the amount of money that they pay to credit card companies. Every time someone swipes a card in their store, they're paying transaction fees to Visa or MasterCard or any of these credit card processing centers. Mm -hmm. Now, 2%, 3% may not sound like a lot, of, a lot of money, but if you look at collectively across all the retailers in the United States and you kind of... Uh, project that out into into one year, uh, that could amount to trillions and trillions of dollars being passed back and forth between between the merchants and the consumers. And two, three percent of that starts to become a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and so retailers figure out ways to offset that cost by either increasing the price in the products in a, in a very minute way where consumers won't really notice or figure out ways to leverage technology to cut the middleman out or the credit card companies. And I think that's essentially the driving factor behind uh, the, the MCX cons consortium in creation of the currency is that retailers need credit card companies in one way, but they also don't want to have them there, right? So I think they have a very love-hate relationship with credit card companies. And having something like currency gives retailers another option, which they can pass the discounts back to customers directly. Now, if we look at Google Wallet or Apple Pay, the motivation for both Google and Apple and companies like PayPal is really at the end of the day to increase their product sales. So if we look at, well, why did Apple really come out with NFC? Well, the more people use, the more that's out there, the more widely it becomes used by creating marketing campaigns, PR campaigns, the more phones get sold. The more phones that get sold increases their revenue. And the more revenue that they, they increase, it increases their profits. And the more profits they make, they leverage that to create more innovation or push the envelope of technology. Mm -hmm. So really, I think 
if we were to take a poll with just individual uh, consumers like you and I and, and basically say, well, do you really need a new method for payment? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we get a 50-50 answer, mm-hmm. right? Where some people would say, yeah, I would really like a contactless payment method, whatever it is, and to be able to decrease the amount of time it takes for the transaction to complete when I'm ready to leave, thus decreasing the lines at the stores when you're checking checking out. Right. And probably the other 50% would say it, it really doesn't matter for them as long as they're able to purchase something, pay for it, and walk out. Mm-hmm. So, so that brings up an interesting question that I, that I wanted to ask about. Uh, how long do you think it will be? I, and let me backtrack a little bit. I was talking with one of our coworkers about this podcast and the future of payments. And I was talking about you know the possibility that one day you'll walk into a store Put everything that you want into the shopping cart, walk out, there's no transaction, your phone or your whatever your digital wallet is just knows, you know, what it is that you've purchased and subtracts that from whatever from your checking account or your just call it your your credit card, whatever your source of money. So how long do you think it will be before there exists that kind of technology where you can just walk into an Apple store, say, pick the newest iPhone 12, call it off the shelf, put it in your pocket, walk out and you're then 500 bucks lighter or however much the Apple, the iPhone 12 will cost. Do you see, do you see that on the near horizon canal? Probably not in the near horizon in the sense of how I think you said it was a commercial or it was a video that, that you saw this in. I would say probably not in the near horizon, but definitely in the distant future. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is that part of that is already, or it already exists today. If we look at the PayPal payment, the new BLE-based payment mechanism that they've created allows for that, but it still requires a third-party authentication, a physical authentication, meaning that the checkout clerk still has to authenticate that you are who you say you are. Mm -hmm. I think in order for that vision to be really come to fruition, really requires a lot of of things to fall into place. One, it requires a shift, uh, a mental shift of consumers to be able to get used to walking into a store and not really interact with anyone mm-hmm. except for the products that they're looking for, right. interact with the products and decide, make the decision of purchasing it, grab it and walk out the store and everything happens in a secured way. Fraud is is removed and the ability to shoplift is also removed. It also requires retailers to have such an infrastructure in place where not much training is required by employees it requires systems to be in place. It requires various different terminals or interface terminals and all these t- to work together in a seamless seamless fashion with one key objective, the user interface. Mm-hmm. The user interface has to be extremely simple. And that user interface has to accomplish the kind of the goal that was set in the vision of that commercial that you saw, which is walk in, look at what, what you're looking to buy, make the decision of buying and walk out with it. Mm-hmm. It has to be as simple as that with no training involved. Right. And, and Brian, we were talking about this in the run up to the, to the podcast. And you talked about a couple of stores that are doing pretty innovative things. Peapod, I believe was one target. I want to say was another where you can kind of scan things and then they either put it in a bag for you and it's there when you show up or I forget exactly how it works, but can you talk a little bit about the innovative technologies you've seen or innovative applications of technology uh, 
that will ease purchases and, and may altogether remove needing to go to stores altogether? Right. So you look at Peapod, you shop for food online. Harris Teeter does the same thing. Uh, and you go there and you just pick up your groceries and walk right out. It's already paid for. Uh, there's some other stores. Nike has uh, where they walk around. Um, I think DSW does this as well. They walk around. They, they look at for folks that look like they're getting ready to check out. And they say, oh, are you ready to check out? They say, yeah. They pull out an iPhone. They swipe your, your card through the 3.5 millimeter jack, and they email you a receipt, and you just walk right out the door. Uh, right. So you're seeing a lot of this already coming to fruition, but I think that the big thing here is, is generational. So you and I, and folks that are older than you and I, are used to brick-and-mortar stores. We're used to going into Best Buy uh, and, and looking for something. I remember I was just driving out for lunch, and I saw a place that used to be a Tower Records. I used to go to a store and pro, uh, go through different uh, CDs that I have to go to, you know, the hip-hop area or the the country area and, and kind of remember, oh, I'm looking for this artist. So it's alphabetically this way. Uh, now it's iTunes, it's SoundCloud, it's uh, I mean, um, Spotify, it's, Spotify, it's um, uh, Shazam to find out a song. Right. Uh, and the generation that's coming up right now is going to be uh, the ultimate deciding factor of how this actually comes out to play. Will they be the folks that are very hipsterish and say, you know what? I don't like technology, man. It's too crazy. We're going to go back to the old way. Or are they going to say, I want to do things easier, better, faster. Um, so it'll get to a point where, you know, brick and mortar stores will only be there as Amazon warehouse stores are currently now. So Amazon's opening up a store in New York City. That's more of a warehouse and a, an ability to ship things in and out. You know, there might be a grocery store, but the grocery store is really just a warehouse. You go up there, pick up your groceries and go home. Uh, you're seeing the younger generation doing that because they want to get to what they're doing faster and earlier and get more done. So how do I do that? I don't have to go grocery shopping and go up and down the aisles. You and I are used to going up and down every single aisle saying, do I need this? Do I need that? While I think the newer generation is going, I know what I want. I know what I need. And I got to get down to something else. Um, so again, I think it's the younger generation that's going to dictate how much it becomes to the point of, we don't actually go into stores anymore and everything is done virtually. Sure. Okay. Got it. So, uh, let, let's, let me ask kind of an, an informal poll here, since we're talking about digital currencies and the future of payments, uh, Brian O, are you on Venmo? No, I am not. Kanal Shah, are you on Venmo? No. <laughs> Brian O, are you on Square? No. Kanal Shah. No, but, but I've definitely used it. Oh, uh, you've used it at, to at pay. retailers. Yeah. Okay. At, at food trucks. Yeah. Food trucks definitely. Okay. Oh, definitely, definitely the DC food trucks. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, PayPal, Brian. Oh, you on PayPal? I am on PayPal. I uh, use it a lot for paying friends. Okay. Uh, especially when you send emails out, uh, fantasy football, saying make sure it's a gift. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get charged that that extra percent. <laughs> Can all show you on PayPal? Yeah, I'm on PayPal, but I don't use it as much as other people. Just, um, just, uh, I've used a few times here and there. Okay. Got it. Uh, let's see. Google wallet. Do you have a Google wallet account? No. Uh, no. Okay. Apple pay. Do you have Apple pay set up on your phone? Yeah, I actually got that, um, set up on my, on my iPhone six and I've actually tried it at, at, at a retailer and, and surprisingly it's, it's got a very simplified experience around it. Take out the, take out the phone and touch the touch ID and everything's done. 
Seamless, nice and smooth? Seamless. Okay. Brian? Uh, I have the iPhone 5S, so I don't have the luxury of the secure element. Um, I'm trying to use it with OpenTable, but I need to get uh, a nice raise so I can go to one of these nice (laughs) restaurants that have them. Um, Yeah, so... Okay, got it. Well, yeah, I, I have Apple Pay on my phone. Have set it up. Have not tried to use it. The rest of them I do have, um, and that is why I have no money. Uh, okay, okay, so uh, running a little low on time here, guys. Any any final parting words of wisdom or any thoughts on on where the uh, where we're going with the future of payments? Anything that folks out there that are listening and trying to figure out where they should be playing ought to think about. And- um, I think that the main thing you want to look at is not the actual product itself of whether or not it's NFC or BLE, but more of the design aspect, the mindset of what's the best way to get into this market. And that's going to be the transactions and the analysis behind it. So, so remember, the, another main driver for currency is that they were going to offer these retailers data analytics behind consumers purchasing uh, trends. Mm -hmm. So that's something that Apple doesn't do for now. Uh, I don't foresee Apple doing that because it would kind of go against what Apple does, right? They are the opposite of Google, where Google will do something just to get a whole bunch of data on you. Uh, Apple seems to be the opposite of that. So uh, again, I would take a look at it from a a software aspect, not necessarily from uh, the aspect of which one is better for me to use. Sure. And um, I think I think for me, I would take up again a little bit of a different different approach, and I would say that it doesn't really matter which technology you're using for contactless payment. I think the 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 ultimate winner is going to be the one that really provides a solution for the consumer that makes the experience seamless mm-hmm. and gives that secured um, solution mm-hmm. for the for the end user and gives them that that. That, that feeling of safety mm-hmm. around parting with their their uh, whether it's credit card information or bank information and gives them that feeling of security that their information is secured with them. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, guys, for uh, for coming in and joining us in the studio today. Some fantastic insights into the future of payments. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having us. This has been a this has been a great great conversation with with Brian and and yourself, and uh, definitely look forward to our next podcast and and next set of discussions. No doubt. Again, thank you uh, for, for having us on. Um, I know we sound repetitive, uh, <laughs> but um, no, it's great to be able to finally take something that we talk about all the time in the office. Uh, any moment we have, any chance we we get to talk about technology, um, us being a technology company. You know, um, there's plenty of us that think this way and, and love to talk about it. So, again, thank you. Absolutely. So, uh, little known fact, you may sound repetitive because this is the second time we've actually recorded this podcast episode. I had some technical difficulties on this end. Even though we've done 39 of these up until now, occasionally we still make mistakes. So, uh, thanks to Brian and all for being great sports and getting back in the studio to rehash this once again. Uh, you're, you're fantastic both times. The second time around, I think, was a slam dunk. So, Thanks, guys. If you'd like to learn more about Kanal Shah or Brian O, you can find them on Twitter, respectively, at at Kanal Shah. That's at K-E-N-A-L-S-H-A-H. And at Brian O2006. That's at Brian O-H2006. Thanks again to Kanal Shah and Brian O for joining us this week. 
And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to have best-selling author Stephen Shapiro on the podcast to talk about innovation and breakthrough thinking. Four great ways to make breakthroughs, why expertise is the enemy of innovation, and what magicians can teach us about the art of innovation. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.